0: You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. Have a good day. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
1: Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville, Part 1.
2: I am a rather elderly man. The nature of my avocations for the last thirty years has brought me into more than ordinary contact with what would seem an interesting and somewhat singular set of men, of whom as yet nothing that I know of has ever been written. I mean the law copyists or scriveners. I have known very many of them, professionally and privately, and, if I pleased, I could relate diverse histories at which good-natured gentlemen might smile and sentimental souls might weep. But I waive the biographies of all other scriveners for a few passages in the life of Bartleby, who was a scrivener the strangest I ever saw or heard of. Ere introducing the scrivener, however, it is fit that I make some mention of myself, my employees, and my business, because some such description is indispensable to an adequate understanding of the chief character about to be presented. Good morning, sir. I am a man who, from his youth upwards, has been filled with a profound conviction that the easiest way of life is the best. Hence, though I belong to a profession proverbially energetic and nervous, nothing of that sort have I ever suffered to invade my peace. Hmm. I am one of those unambitious lawyers who never addresses a jury, or in any way draws down public applause, but in the cool tranquillity of a snug retreat do a snug business among rich men's bonds and mortgages and title deeds. Some time prior to the period at which this little history begins, my avocations had been largely increased. The good old office, now extinct in the state of New York, of a master in chancery, had been conferred upon me. It was not a very arduous office, but it was pleasantly remunerative. My chambers were upstairs at No. 10 Wall Street. At the period just preceding the advent of Bartleby, I had two persons as copyists in my employment, and a promising lad as an office boy. First, turkey. Second, nippers. Third, Ginger Nut. These may seem odd names, the likes of which are not usually found in the directory. In truth, they were nicknames mutually conferred upon each other by my three clerks and were deemed expressive of their respective persons or characters. Turkey was a short, pursy fellow of about my own age. In the morning, his face was of a fine, florid hue, but after twelve o'clock meridian, his lunch hour, it blazed like a grate full of Christmas coals, and continued blazing with a gradual wane till six o'clock p.m., after which time I saw no more of the face, which, gaining its meridian with the sun, seemed to rise with it, to culminate, and then to set. <coughs> There are many singular coincidences I have known in the course of my life, not the least of which was the fact that, exactly when Turkey displayed his fullest beams from his red and radiant countenance, just then, too, began the daily period when I considered his business capacities as most seriously disturbed. Not that he was absolutely idle or averse to business, then. Far from it. The difficulty was he was apt to be altogether too energetic. There was a strange, inflamed, flighty recklessness about him. He would be incautious in dipping his pen into his inkstand. All his blots upon my documents were dropped there after twelve o'clock. He made an unpleasant racket with his chair. In mending his pens, he impatiently split them all to pieces and threw them on the floor in a sudden passion. Nevertheless, as he was in many ways a most valuable person to me, and all the time before twelve o'clock meridian was the quickest, steadiest creature, too, for these reasons I was willing to overlook his eccentricities, though indeed occasionally I remonstrated with him. Turkey? Uh, Yes, sir. Turkey, what is the time? Um, half past twelve, sir. Turkey, perhaps, perhaps now that you are growing old, it might be well to abridge your labor somewhat. I'm not sure what you mean, sir. In short, Turkey, I mean that you need not come to my chambers after twelve o'clock, but your lunch over had best go home to your lodgings and rest yourself. Oh, no, sir. My
3: afternoons are quite important. Turkey. Besides, sir, if my services in the morning are useful, how indispensable then in the afternoon. With submission, sir, I consider myself your right-hand man. In the morning I but marshal and deploy my columns. But in the afternoon, I put myself at their head and gallantly charge the foe. But the blot's turkey. True. But with submission, sir, behold these hairs. I am getting old. Surely, sir, a a blot or two on a warm afternoon is not to be severely urged against gray hairs. Old age, even if it blot the page, is honorable. With submission, sir, we both are getting old. (sighs)
2: Nippers, the second on my list, was a whiskered, sallow, and upon the whole rather piratical-looking young man of about five and twenty. I always deemed him the victim of two evil powers, ambition and indigestion. The ambition was evinced by a certain fiery impatience, the indigestion by a continual discontent with the height of the table where he worked, Though of a very ingenious mechanical turn, Nippers could never get this table to suit him. He put chips under it, blocks of various sorts, bits of pasteboard, and at last went so far as to attempt an adjustment with pieces of folded blotting paper. But no invention would answer. Is there some problem, Nibbers? this
0: desk, sir. Blast this
2: desk. Well, adjust it, then, if it gives
0: you such discomfort. With respect, sir, I have tried. But if I bring the table lid up at a sharper angle well up towards my chin, why, then it stops the circulation in my arms. But if I lower the table to my waistbands and stoop over it, there is a sore aching in my back. Well, which is the most comfortable? Neither is the most comfortable, sir, and with respect, sir, neither is the least uncomfortable either.
2: In short, the truth of the matter was, Nippers knew not what he wanted, or if he wanted anything, it was to be rid of a scrivener's table altogether. Uh, it. It was fortunate for me that, owing to its peculiar cause, indigestion, the irritability and consequent nervousness of Nippers were mainly observable in the morning, while in the afternoon he was comparatively mild.
3: I shall drop it to kindling! That is exactly what I shall do! Ah, come now! What you need is a good quart of ale. Two, perhaps.
2: Because turkeys' paroxysms only came on at about twelve o'clock, I never had to deal with their eccentricities at the same time. Their fits relieved each other, like guards. When nippers was on, turkeys was off, and vice versa. This was a good natural arrangement under the circumstances.
3: <laughs> or perhaps some capes. Yes, yes, that'll be the thing. Ginger nut. Ginger Nut, where are you, my boy? Yes, sir.
2: Rounding out this cast of characters was Ginger Nut, the office boy, so named for those peculiar cakes small, flat, round, and very spicy, after which he was repeatedly
3: sent by Turkey and Nippers. Bring us a stack and I'll give you a few for your troubles. Yes, sir. That's a good lad. <laughs>
2: Now my original business, that of a conveyancer and title hunter and drawer up of documents of all sorts, was considerably increased by receiving the master's office. There was now great work for scriveners. Not only must I push the clerks already with me, but I must have additional help. In answer to my advertisement, a motionless young man showed up one morning on my office threshold. I can see that figure now, pallidly neat, pitiably respectable, incurably forlorn. It was Bartleby. After a few words touching his qualifications, I engaged him, glad to have among my corps of copyists a man of so singularly sedate an aspect, which I thought might operate beneficially upon the flighty temper of turkey and the fiery one of nippers.
4: I shall do my utmost, sir.
2: At first Bartleby did an extraordinary quantity of writing. As if long famishing for something to copy, he seemed to gorge himself on my documents. There was no pause for digestion. He ran day and night, copying by sunlight and by candlelight. I should have been quite delighted with his application had he been cheerfully industrious, but he wrote on, silently, palely, mechanically. It was on the third day, I think, of his being with me, and before any necessity had arisen for having his own writing examined, that, being much hurried to complete a small affair I had in hand, I abruptly called to the new scrivener. Bartleby! Bartleby, I need you to examine a small paper with me. Bartleby, do you hear me? I need you to examine this paper with me.
4: I would prefer not to.
2: Bartleby! Bartleby! Bartleby, do you not comprehend me? I need you to examine this paper with me.
4: I would prefer not to.
2: Prefer not to? What do you mean? Are you moonstruck? I want you to help me
4: compare this sheet. Here, take it. I would prefer not to.
2: For a few moments I was dumbfounded. Had there been the least uneasiness, anger, impatience, or impertinence in his manner, in other words, had there been anything ordinarily human about him, doubtless I should have violently dismissed him from the premises. But as it was, I should have as soon thought of turning my plaster of Paris bust of Cicero out of doors. Days after this, Bartleby concluded four lengthy documents, being quadruplicates of a week's testimony taken before me in my High Court of Chancery. It became necessary to examine them. Having all things arranged, I called turkey, nippers, and ginger nut from the next room, meaning to place the four copies in the hands of my four clerks while I should read aloud from the original. Bartleby, quick! I am waiting. What is wanted? The copies, the copies. We are going to examine them. Here, take this. I would prefer
4: not to.
2: Bartleby! Bartleby! Bartleby, why do you refuse?
4: I would prefer not to.
2: These are your own copies we are about to examine. It is labor-saving to you because one examination will answer for your four papers. It is common usage. Every copyist is bound to help examine his copy. Is it not so? Will you not speak? Answer!
4: I prefer not to.
2: You are decided, then, not to comply with my request, a request made according to common usage and and
3: common sense.
4: That is correct.
3: Turkey, what do you think of this? Am I not right? With submission, sir, I think that you are. Nippers, what do you think of it? I think I should kick him out of the
2: office. The astute listener will here perceive that, it being morning, Turkey's answer is couched in polite and tranquil terms, but Nippers replies in ill-tempered ones, or, to repeat a previous sentence, Nippers' ugly mood was on duty and Turkey's off. You hear what they say, Bartleby. Come forth and do your duty.
3: Turkey, you
2: and Nipper share the extra copy.
3: Of course, sir. Though, if I may say, sir, it is quite out of the common. Oh, stubborn oaf! This is the last time you see me
0: doing another man's business without pay. <laughs>
2: Some days passed, the scrivener being employed upon another lengthy work. His remarkable conduct led me to regard his ways carefully. I observed that he never went to lunch, indeed, that he never went anywhere. I had never known him to be outside of my office. He was a perpetual sentry in the corner. At about eleven o'clock in the morning I noticed that Ginger Nut would advance toward Bartleby's door, as if silently beckoned thither. The boy would then leave the office, jingling a few pence, and reappear later with a handful of ginger-nuts. These he delivered to the hermitage, receiving two of the cakes for his trouble. "'He lives, then, on ginger-nuts,' thought I. "'He never eats a dinner, properly speaking. He must be a vegetarian. But, no, he never eats even vegetables. He eats nothing but ginger-nuts.' My mind then ran on in reveries concerning the probable effects upon the human constitution of living entirely on ginger-nuts.' These cakes are so called because they contain ginger as the final flavoring ingredient. Now, what was ginger? A hot, spicy thing. Was Bartleby hot and spicy? Not at all. Ginger then had no effect upon Bartleby. Probably he preferred it should have none. With as much sympathy as I could muster, I regarded Bartleby and his ways. Poor fellow, thought I. He means no mischief. It is plain he intends no insolence. His eccentricities are involuntary. "'He is useful to me. I can get along with him. "'If I turn him away, the chances are he will fall in with some less indulgent employer, "'and then he will be rudely treated and perhaps driven forth miserably to starve. "'Yes, here I could cheaply purchase a delicious self-approval. "'To befriend Bartleby, to humour him in his strange willfulness, will cost me nothing, "'while I lay up in my soul what will eventually prove a sweet morsel for my conscience.' but this mood was not invariable. The passiveness of Bartleby sometimes irritated me. One afternoon, the evil impulse mastered me, and the following little scene ensued. Bartleby, when those papers are all copied, I will compare them with you.
4: I would prefer not to.
2: How? Surely you do not mean to persist in that mulish vagary. He says a second time that he won't examine his papers. What do you think of it, Turkey? Think of it? I think I'll just step into his room and black his eyes for him. Recall that I said it was afternoon. Sit down, Turkey, and hear what Nippers has to say. What do you think of it, Nippers? Would I not be justified in immediately dismissing Bartleby? Excuse
0: me, sir, but that is for you to decide. I think his conduct quite unusual and indeed
2: unjust as regards Turkey and myself, but
0: it may only be a passing whim.
2: Shall I go and black his eyes, sir? No, not today, Turkey. Pray put up your fists. Bartleby, Ginger Nut is away. Step round to the post office, won't you? It is but a three minute walk. See if there is anything there for me.
4: I would prefer not to. You will not? I prefer not. Bartleby! Bartleby!
2: Bartleby, go to the next room and tell Nippers to come to me.
4: I prefer not to. Very good, Bartleby. Yes, yes. Quite all right. Very good. Very good.
2: I acknowledge it. The conclusion of this whole business was that it soon became a fixed fact of my chambers that a pale young scrivener by the name of Bartleby had a desk there, that he copied for me at the usual rate of four cents a folio, but that he was permanently exempt from examining any work done by him. Moreover, said Bartleby was never on any account to be dispatched on the most trivial errand of any sort, and that even if entreated to do so, it was generally understood that he would prefer not to, in other words, that he would refuse point-blank." As days passed on, I became considerably reconciled to Bartleby. His steadiness, his freedom from all dissipation, his incessant industry, his great stillness, his unalterable demeanour under all circumstances made him a valuable acquisition. One prime thing was this, he was always there, first in the morning, continually through the day, and the last at night. Now, one Sunday morning I planned to go to Trinity Church to hear a celebrated preacher, and, finding myself rather early, I thought I would walk round to my chambers. But upon applying my key to the lock, I found it resisted by something inserted from the inside. Like, What is the meaning of... Bartleby? Yes? Why, Bartleby, what are you doing here on a Sunday and and in your shirt sleeves?
4: I apologize, sir, but I am deeply engaged just now. And I prefer not to admit you at present. Not to admit me? Why,
2: these are my offices.
4: Perhaps it is better that you should walk round the block two or three times. By then I will probably have concluded my affairs.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Very good, Bartleby. Very good. Yes. Yes. It is true... The appearance of Bartleby tenanting my chambers on a Sunday morning, with his cadaverously gentlemanly nonchalance, had such a strange effect upon me that I slunk away from my own door. My mind ran in circles. Was anything amiss going on? Nay, that was out of the question. It was not to be thought for a moment that Bartleby was an immoral person. But what could he be doing there? Copying? Nay, again, whatever occupied him at that moment had nothing whatever to do with my business.' at last i returned to the door and opened it without hindrance bartleby was not to be seen i looked round anxiously peeping in at his desk but it was plain that the scrivener was gone upon more closely examining the place i surmised that for an indefinite period bartleby must have eaten dressed and slept in my office all without plate mirror or bed the seat of a rickety old sofa in one corner bore the faint impress of a lean reclining form Rolled away under his desk I found a blanket, under the empty grate a blacking-box and brush, on a chair a tin basin with soap and a ragged towel, in a newspaper a few crumbs of ginger-nuts and a morsel of cheese. Bartleby has been making his home here, thought I, keeping bachelor's hall all by himself. Immediately then the thought came sweeping across me. What miserable friendlessness and loneliness are here revealed!— for the first time in my life a feeling of overpowering, stinging melancholy seized me. The bond of a common humanity now drew me irresistibly to gloom, a fraternal melancholy, for both I and Bartleby were sons of Adam. I remembered the bright silks and sparkling faces I had seen that day in gala trim, swan-like, sailing down Broadway— and I contrasted them with the pallid copyist, and thought to myself, ah, happiness courts the light, so we deem the world is happy, but misery hides aloof, so we deem that misery there is none. What I saw that morning persuaded me that the Scrivener was the victim of an innate and incurable disorder. I might give alms to his body, but his body did not pain him. It was his soul that suffered, and his soul I could not reach. (laughs) Bartleby, come here. I am not going to ask you to do anything you would prefer not to do. I simply wish to speak to you. Will you tell me, Bartleby, where you were born?
4: I would prefer not to. Will you tell me anything about yourself? I would prefer
2: not to. But what reasonable objection can you have to speaking to me? I feel friendly towards you. What is your answer, Bartleby?
4: At present, I prefer to give no answer.
2: Never mind, then, about revealing your history. But, Bartleby, let me entreat you, as a friend, to comply with the demands of this office. Say now that you will help to examine papers tomorrow or the next day. In short, say now that in a day or two you will begin to be a little reasonable. Say so, Bartleby.
4: At present, I would prefer not to be a little reasonable. I prefer not, Tom. Huh? I'd prefer him if I were you, sir. I'd prefer him. I'd give him preferences, a stubborn mule.
0: What is it, sir? Pray that he prefers not to do now.
2: Mr. Nippers, I would prefer that you withdraw for the present. Somehow of late, I had got into the habit of involuntarily using this word prefer upon all sorts of not exactly suitable occasions.
3: Uh, What's your mission, sir? Yesterday I was thinking about Bartleby here, and I think that if he would but prefer to take a quart of good ale every day, it would do much towards mending him and enabling him to assist in examining his papers. So you have got the word, too, Turkey. With submission what word, sir?
4: I would prefer to be left alone here. That's
3: the word, Turkey. That's it. Oh, prefer. Yes, yes, queer word. I never use it myself. But, sir, as I was saying, if he would but prefer to take some ale... Turkey, you will please withdraw. Oh, Oh, certainly, sir. If you would prefer that I should.
0: Oh, uh, sir, quick question. This contract, would you prefer to have it on blue paper or on white? My God. Is there a problem, sir?
2: No. No, Nippers. Let's put it on blue, shall we? Now, come along. I believe that Bartleby prefers to be left alone. <laughs>
1: You've been listening to Chatterbox Audio Theaters production of Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville. Featuring Bill Short as Bartleby, Robert Arnold as the narrator, Matt Reed as Turkey, and Kyle Hatley as Nippers. Sound effects by Aaron McGee. Music adapted and performed by Catherine Whitfield. Dramaturgy by Karen Strawn. Produced by Andrew Sullivan. Adapted and directed by Robert Arnold. This is your announcer, Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web-based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org.
3: There is a new SUV that's unlike any other. It's big because you want big, but you also don't want to worry about lousy gas mileage. And with the new Skeeter SUV, that worry is a thing of the past. Thanks to new hybrid
2: technology, you can get more miles per gallon in your big Skeeter SUV. How does it work? Easy. As you approach a wimpy little car from the rear and start to climb over it with a Skeeter's patented Action Track Suspension, a special metal tube projects from the skeeter piercing the gas tank of the car and sucking out all the gas therein
3: it only takes a few seconds then you can roll right over that car and leave its empty husk behind as nature intended yes the new skeeter is a
2: hybrid of suv technology and classic mosquito design the skeeter is definitely an itch you can scratch Get over to your Skeeter dealer today,
1: but hurry. Get there before you see a Skeeter in your rearview mirror.
3: The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.